I'll say, bless the Lord if you say, oh my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris, I'm the pastor um, at Kairos, and I'm so glad we're in the factory tonight. So thanks for making your way here. Thanks for braving the rain if it was still raining. We've been here for a while, so we have been praying for you guys, expecting you guys, and eagerly anticipating what the Lord is going to do in and through us in this place tonight. Thanks, worship team. What an incredible uh, way to start off our evening. So our, our kind of goal and vision is that Kairos is an honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. So if you're here with us for the first time, if you're just spiritually curious, or if you're just considering the claims of Christ, or you're here on a Tuesday night because you're a super Christian and any Christian event you'll go to just to deepen your faith, we welcome you all at the table tonight. And I think God has a word for each one of you. Um, I love our community. I think it's incredibly special. I love that we're in this room tonight. Um, and you would think since I'm the pastor uh, of Kairos, I would kind of have like this two-minute elevator pitch about what we are. But even I struggle to articulate the uniqueness of our ministry and our gathering sometimes. Part of me really likes that, that you can't really categorize us. We're like, we're kind of this, but we're kind of also kind of this. Um, I was hanging out with one of my neighbors one time, and you can just see people look at me funny when they find out I'm a pastor, and they're like, uh, you don't look like a pastor. I said, thank you very much. Um, and he just goes to me, so tell me, who comes to Kairos? And I would say, well, I, I would say maybe our average attender, our demographic, we're designed to reach young adults, but everyone lies and comes anyway, um, whether they're older or younger, and that's okay, I embrace that. I'm lying, I'm not a young adult. Um, and then uh, he, I said, probably I would say, normally someone who's in our ministry has probably been wounded by institutional church, is a little bit skeptical of organized religion, or they just grew up in a faith system or structure that they were just longing for deeper community and a different kind of expression. And he's about my age, and he goes, that's me, can I come? And I'm like, sure, absolutely, like, let's go. And then later on, we wound up having uh, dinner as couples, and I got a chance to ask him a question, and I said, what's, what's missing in your spiritual journey right now? And he's like, dude, I'll be honest. I just need a small group where I'm allowed to ask questions. I get kicked out of every small group I'm in because of the questions I ask. And I said, me and you are going to be fast friends. I, I like where this is going already. And I love that because as I look back on a relationship, it was a series of questions that allowed us to open up and get to know one another on a different level. He asked me a question, and then I asked him a question. And that's going to be kind of the series that we're going to walk through for the next couple of weeks. It's called Interrogative, Questions That Leave a Mark. And we want to be the kind of people who are courageous enough to ask those kind of questions. Now, you guys have heard the old adage, right? There's no stupid questions, right? But there's silly questions. And so I want to give you a couple of those that I have scoured and done diligent research with scholars and Sunday school teachers and children's ministers and have found some of the most ridiculous questions kids have ever asked God, okay? So here's, here's a couple of those to get your pump prime tonight. Dear God... Please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good there right now. <laughs> fair, fair statement. Great question. I, I, I believe, Lord. 
Dear God, why is everything you say in red? <laughs> Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses the golf words in the house? <laughs> Not really sure what's wrong with four, but okay. Must be pretty strict in that household. Dear God, is it true you love all of everybody in the whole world? There are only four people in our family and I could never do it. <laughs> Sign, Abigail Brooks. Well, oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Dear God, would you please send Dennis Clark to a different summer camp this year? Just go ahead and let's ask specific prayer requests. Let's name it and claim it. Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was that an accident? <laughs> Classic. Dear God, is Reverend Coe a friend of yours or do you just know him through the business? <laughs> Dear God, in Bible times, did they really talk that fancy? <laughs> uh, it's going to stay away from that. Dear God, my brother told me about how you were born, but it just doesn't sound right. What do you say? <laughs> I'm going to let God go ahead and explain that one. And then last but not least, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. <laughs> Technically, that's not a question. It's a statement, but it was so good, I just broke the rules to put it in there because... Jesus breaks the rules for those broken by the rules. So, outstanding. But that's funny when it's kids. <laughs> but then we kind of grow up and we don't want to look silly, do we? We kind of lose that childlike faith that just raises their hand the second we don't get something and say, what? Why? For those of us who are just trying to dip our toes into spirituality and Christianity and try to figure out what does this book have to say to us? It oftentimes figure, feels like, especially in the religious South, everyone grew up in this stuff. And they seem to have it all figured out. And they don't seem to have any questions or any doubts. And I've got, the more I read or the more I, I start to seek God, I actually have more questions than answers. And then for those of us who grew up around church culture or religion, we start to feel like, shouldn't I have this down by now? Am I legitimately asked allowed to re-ask some of the basic questions of my faith without being shamed and looked down upon or told I'm sinning because I'm doubting. Anybody ever got that one before? Okay. This is, I think, interesting when it's kids asking those questions. Here's where it's also permeated into some of our smartest students. So Columbia University, Ivy League School, Smarty party, you know, really the, the intellectual nerds that I love you guys and I want to be friends with you, but I, I don't have that on my SAT scores. Here's a girl um, who wrote an article for the Columbia student newspaper called Two Cents and Sensibility, and she was reflecting on the fact that she was in a different part of campus. She didn't know where the bathrooms were, and she refused to ask because she didn't want to look stupid. Here's what she said. Doubts go unvoiced as we attempt to perpetuate the image of the Colombian as an infallible, unfaltering, and insufferable know-it-all. Listen to this astute observation. Consequently, we keep our weaknesses hidden, nodding along with everyone else, even as our notes grow more frantic and filled with question marks. 
I wonder if that's true for academics, how much more that's true in spirituality. How many of us nod and go along, but inside we're dying because we have yet to find a place or a space where we can voice the unasked questions. So I just want to give you a big, huge invitation. We are a community of people who will wrestle with our doubts, voice our questions and concerns, and we will invite God in on the conversation with it. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, it's okay to doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. Invite God in on the conversation. Go on a journey with him. And one day you'll arrive before you realize it where you believe your beliefs and you doubt your doubts. We want to be asked these questions. We want to be held in that kind of tension. And I'm glad that the Bible doesn't shy away from asking difficult questions. Jesus, as a rabbinical teacher in the Jewish religious system, loved to ask questions. His disciples, who hung out with God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, gets his, their teaching firsthand, are sitting right underneath the feet of the master, and guess what? Lots of questions. And so I want us to look at a passage of scripture tonight, which I believe is one of the most lethal, profound, marking questions that I have seen in scripture. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 9, and we'll put it also on the screens. Let's pause and pray before we dig into God's Word. Would you just take a minute and pray that God would speak directly to you tonight? Would you take a minute and pray for the person on either side of you that they would encounter the real Jesus of Scripture tonight? And if you'd be so kind, would you take a minute to pray for me that I would accurately portray the Father's heart through his word? So Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Mark chapter 9 will be in verse 30. So watch for this searing, marking, profound, lethal question. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not anyone, didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Did you catch it? Did you see that lethal question? Did you see that dangerous one? For me, it's the most lethal question in all of Scripture because it goes unasked. Let's just paint the picture for a second, okay? We have Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who I believe is the smartest man who's ever walked the face of the planet, 
who knows the mysteries of the universe, the keys to humanity and living in peace and union with God, who has come to restore and reset creation so that we can walk and live and breathe the way that we were designed to. And in this moment, he's pulling his disciples away from the crowd, giving them a private tutoring lesson. He's no longer speaking in parables. He's not asking them any weird questions. He's not doing miracles to freak them out. He simply states his gospel objective in one sentence. I've come to be handed over, crucified, and then I will rise again. Gospel, clearly articulated. The next verse that his disciples, it says about them, but they didn't understand what he was saying and they were too afraid to ask. How tragic. That's not gonna be you and I, is it? We're gonna learn from the disciples' mistakes. When the gospel is presented and Jesus shows up and we got a chance to get our hands on him, we've got a long list of questions. We understand that usually questions are the primary ways that we learn and gain and understand who God is and who we are and who he's calling us to be. And if you'll remember, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I bet you that questions were a primary way that you began to walk with God. What is truth? And how can I know it and live more fully into it? Why does a good God allow evil to exist? Why do I exist? Did I just ask the same question twice? Maybe. Why is my family so screwed up? Wait, why am I so screwed up? Why can't I stop? Why can't I just start? Will I ever find love? Will I ever be able to give love in a healthy way? What happens if I die? What happens if I live? These are the questions that pave the pathway towards intimacy. And for us to ruthlessly and recklessly go, I'm not going to be afraid to ask. I don't need to look like an insufferable know-it-all. Maybe I was taught this before, but where I'm at in my life right now, I've got new circumstances, new understandings, new intellectual information that I need to synchronize and I need to integrate and I need people who can walk with me in this. It's why I love our community of Bible reading groups. It's where we gather together and we ask the hard questions that following Jesus demands. You don't have to ask those questions by yourself. I got this email from a wonderful girl in our community. And she talks about uh, going through uh, hearing voices and wondering about mental instability. And finally, at the age of 18, she's hospitalized and for a couple of years bounces till finally gets a mental illness diagnosis. And she just says this. She said, um, I'm at the point where I'm past wondering if my pain will one day mean something. I'm just angry. I'm angry that God robbed me of the life I dreamed of before it ever really started. So my question for you is this, Chris. What is the purpose to my pain? Why did God create a world why I am sick and will always be sick? And where do I go from here? I don't know. It's just, I just said I don't care and I don't, but maybe I do. I keep thinking that maybe you would be able to say something. I like Kairos. I haven't been to church in years, but something just feels right. I guess 
I don't want to be angry anymore. It's exhausting. And it leaks out into my personality. I'm angry, I'm scared, and I'm completely discouraged. I don't know why I'm writing this. Honestly, looking over it, I can tell it's ridiculously scattered. So answer it or don't. Last line of her email. Maybe I just needed to scream into the void. I need to let you know that when I get emails like that, I am fully alive in Jesus Christ. These are the things that my mother, that God knit me together in my mother's womb for. Someone's telling the truth. Someone's asking the hard questions. Someone's not flinching in the face of their pain and the paradox of their faith. And someone has the guts to voice it. I type back, woohoo! Screaming into the void with you, sister. And pray that the Holy Spirit will hover over the chaos of that void. I don't know what it looks like, but if you keep asking ruthlessly, honest, and authentic questions like that, God will see and God will hear. I'm praying Psalm 13 over you. Consider me, look at me, and answer me, my Lord and my God. Light up my eyes so I can see the world the way that you see it. And I just wonder if maybe some of us got inspired by more of our broken brothers and sisters who have had their pride so systematically stripped away, we might encounter a greater power because our pride has been lowered so that he can increase and we can decrease. So that's why I just want to let you know, it's okay. Let the questions in. This is not a community where we flinch in the face of those things. And we don't always have answers, but we will help you voice those questions and lay them at the feet of Jesus. What I hope is never said about us is we were too afraid to ask. You know what's interesting? There is uh, another text in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, and I'll just summarize it for you real quickly. The disciples finally found the courage. They said, hey, God, how do we, or hey, Jesus, same thing, sorry. Hey, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? He teaches them that, then tells them a story about a rude neighbor who needs bread and bangs on the door at the middle of the night because he has unwanted house guests and is like, hey, let's feed them so they go to sleep and leave. That's a paraphrase. And then he just says this, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Two things I want you to hear from that text. Guess what? First of all, that's a command, not a suggestion. In the original Greek, it's actually an ongoing command. Asking, seeking, knocking. Does it just describe your journey when you come to faith? It's gonna be how you continue in faith. I don't know about you, I have bigger questions now that I've come to faith in Christ than before I did have faith in Christ. Because he keeps anding up the trust and the faith and the responsibility and the authority and the power. And I'm like, wherever you're going, I'm in. But boy, it's getting scary out here. So I've got big questions for my big God. And I, I'm definitely gonna ask them. Second thing about that is what was really curious is the same root word for asking in Greek is to beg. I don't like that word. I don't want to beg. My dog begs at the table and I kick it. I don't, just kidding kids, I know you're here. I kick Luna when you're not around. Also just kidding. We can have questions about that later. Um, anyway, 
I uh, went to a small school in West Palm Beach, Florida. And interesting thing about West Palm is you have the really, really rich. And wherever you have the really, really rich, guess what? You need the really, really poor to clean your house. And so it was an interesting amalgamation. Um, I grew up up north in Pennsylvania, so I didn't grow up with some of the racial tensions um, that the South inherently has. I have an interracial family, and so that, that was news to me. But West Palm was a cultural melting pot. And so I was in a class one time, interpersonal communications with Carla Sondemeyer, buddy of mine, Joel, who actually lives here in Franklin now. It's great. Um, We had to spend 12 hours in life from someone else's perspective that is usually marginalized by society. And so we decided we were going to be homeless. Now, the good thing is we had the looks to do that. Uh, We had the hair and we had the clothes. Um, and so we fit the part, we dirtied up a little bit, you know, we, we rolled around the dumpster some and just looked really, really shabby, headed down to downtown West Palm where uh, a lot of the homeless population hung out. Uh, it was real fun, it was curious. Um, I went into the library because that's where everybody goes for air conditioning and actually saw one of my fellow classmates and really had a good time messing with him. He was very uncomfortable. Um, and for the most part, it, it was a delightful experience to, to feel how people were treating me, how they were avoiding me, how I was catching sideways glances, how they were doing all the things to me that I always do to people that are marginalized, but now I'm more aware of it. Then the time came when we had to beg for food and money. I couldn't do it even though I was pretending I couldn't do it. I don't know if it's because I'm an introvert. No, it's because of my pride. And the truth of the matter was, I was just doing it for 12 hours. I wasn't nearly hungry enough. I wasn't nearly dirty enough. And I wasn't nearly desperate enough to beg. But I can tell you on my spiritual walk, I've been dirty in my depravity, in my sin, in my brokenness, and the stench of my selfishness more times than I care to admit. I've been hungry to be known by God and accepted and loved and seen by my Heavenly Father and by a community of people who say, I see a future for you, Chris. And I've been desperate enough for myself and my friends with the brokenness of the world and the evil and the sin that I see around me and in me to get on my knees and beg to the living God, Father, in your mercy, would you hear my prayer? And some of us in this room, we're just pretending in our religious circles we have no clue how to beg, how to get on our knees in front of our Father. Say, if you never did another thing for me, it would be enough. But now I'm at a place where I'm desperate and I'm hungry and I'm dirty. And no matter what else I feed myself with or close myself with or go, it only increases. And I need the bread of life to satisfy a deep hunger. One of my favorite definitions of preaching is simply this. It's one beggar telling another beggar, where they can find bread. So I just want to let you know, we're a community of beggars who have been fed by the bread of life and that Jesus does not despise us when we come to him dirty, desperate, 
and hungry. And maybe if we let him minister to us there, then maybe, just maybe, we can offer the same kind of grace and mercy to the least of them. And it's not an act of religious hypocrisy or pain penance, but it is an overflow of the expression that Christ found me when I was lost and lonely and desperate and hungry. So I can't help but to show it in the lives of others. So the question for us is, are we going to be the kind of people that are seeking more than is socially acceptable, who are knocking longer than is normal, and who are asking the agonizing and sometimes annoying questions all so that we can beg in front of our Heavenly Father, would you fill me with your spirit? 3,294 number of questions recorded in the Bible. My question for you tonight is, which one is first and foremost in your heart and mind? And will you have the courage to ask it? Amen.